Hi everyone! Left to our own devices, the conference may be over, but you can still watch the recording at cybellum.com conference. Tune in to listen to FDA updates from FDA executives themselves, learn about AI in automotive from NVIDIA, the AI leader, and listen to product security leaders from Philips, Honeywell, CISA, and more. Go to cybellum.com conference and watch the recording for free. See you at the next event! You're listening to Left to Our Own Devices, the podcast dedicated to everything product security. So our guest today is Joseph Steinberg, aka the expert witness of cyber. It would be impossible to summarize everything that Joseph has done during the past 25 years. He's a world-renowned speaker, advisor, and expert witness talking about cybersecurity. He's also into AI and IoT. He was ranked as one of the top cybersecurity influencers in the world, and he's written numerous successful books about cybersecurity, and the list goes on. So, Joseph, welcome to the show. Thank you, and I appreciate the intro. Please continue convincing <laughs> me I've done things I haven't, you know, that I didn't know I did, but uh, thank you. <laughs> Maybe you can tell us how you got into cybersecurity in the first place. I'm sure it's a fascinating story. So I've always been interested in technology since the first time I touched a computer, uh, which was a few years ago. Um, My parents took me to a computer class when I was a young child in the summer, uh, during summer break from school. And I got very interested in it. And it was not just an interest in how the computer worked, but if the computer let you do certain things and not other things, I was curious as to how did it control you and are there ways around that? Today, we might call hacking, but at that time, it was just you know curiosity. That sort of blossomed from a curious interest of a child into a career. And you know today, it's not about a six or seven or eight-year-old being curious. It's about organized crime and nation states and all sorts of much more serious issues. But in the end, it's the same question. How do I get around the controls that the computer has that it is trying to control what I can and cannot do? You know, How do I get around it and not get detected? And it's really the same thing. I've enjoyed this my whole life and I continue to enjoy it. Uh, You know, we sometimes say in the cyber field, we like to work 80 hours on something we're interested in instead of 40 that we're not, uh, which is true. And it's not always the most calm field because there are, let's just put it this way, there are sometimes fires to fight. And maybe that sometimes is 100% of the time. But it's interesting stuff and it's never boring. And there's always cool technology involved, always interesting people and always new developments. And I like it. So that's why I'm in it. I think it's the the best answer you can uh, you can hope for. Uh, so I'm I'm curious because you know we we come from the world of product and device security and you have very um, varied experience in different fields. And we, what we see in our perspective is that the gap between cybersecurity for uh, digital products and and for physical products is is closing right because devices are becoming more and more software defined and the software within them becomes more uh, sophisticated. Uh, and AI-driven, so uh, it becomes really complex to to secure devices as well. I'm curious, what's your take on this? How do you see the connection between uh, purely software 
and and device uh, cybersecurity, if there is such a difference? I put it simply, everything is a computer, period. Uh, you know, your car is a computer. It's a computer with specialized functions that let you, you know, use it to travel. But it's not really a, a car. If you look at what a car was in the 1950s, you've got a tremendous amount of computing going on inside that device. And that means you have something hackable. If you talk about an internet connected camera, right, there's a computer in there that's allowing communications and the transmission of video and logins and administrative things and settings. All these things have embedded computers. And we kind of pretend that, you know, today's camera is a descendant of the camera of 30 years ago, but it's really a descendant of a computer that just has a camera function or specialty. And that's where we're, we, as humans, are making a mistake, right? For marketing reasons, when the first smartphone came out, companies said it is a smartphone because people were going to be replacing their phones, their less smartphones with this new device. And so you had to market them as, hey, you're going to go from your dumb phone to your smartphone. But really, you weren't going to a smartphone. You were going from a dumb phone to a miniature computer. It's just that if we said to people at the time, hey, upgrade your, you know, your, your phone on Verizon, on AT&T, on Peloton, whoever it was on, and, you know, and go to a miniature computer, people would have said, I don't want a miniature computer. I want a phone. So it's a marketing thing. But that miniature phone that you're carrying today, that smartphone that you're carrying today, has more processing power than most computers that were sitting on desktops not that many years ago. It's got more processing power than NASA used to put a man on the moon, right? These are computers. They just happen to have a phone function on them. And that's where we're making the mistake. When we think of devices and software security and computer security, we're breaking these things into different categories when really they're all the same. They're just specialized computers. The laptop may be a general purpose computer. The phone may be general purpose specializing in mobile things and in apps and communication. And the embedded device may be specializing in something else, but they're all computers. They're all hackable. They all have vulnerabilities potentially, and all those vulnerabilities can lead to, problem, lead to problems. Great. So if that's the case, and, and I agree with you, I think that is the case. So what, in your opinion, do you see as the biggest challenge in the cybersecurity world in general today? So I think the biggest challenge when it comes to cybersecurity is actually a very, very simple problem, which is that the capabilities of technology and the vulnerabilities that new technologies introduce and the risks to organizations and to individuals as a result of those are growing faster than the cybersecurity countermeasures, education, and defenses in general. So if you drew a graph and you do, drew the two lines, we're improving cybersecurity-wise, but we're improving at a slower rate than our technology is improving. So we're falling further and further behind. We're becoming less and less secure as technology advances, both due to resource constraints and because simply the technologies don't keep up. And that's not a problem that's going to go away by itself. It's not something that's going to change dramatically in the future unless there's some uh, systemic shift, whether it be you know government instituted or otherwise. Uh, the reality is that the problems are going to grow faster than these solutions. And it's been that way for years and it continues to be that way. So that's fascinating. What do you think we should do, we, we as the, the world, to catch up? Because it's been that way forever, as, as you said, but 
I think we all feel that the gap is is becoming bigger, right? Because the problems grow exponentially. So how do you see us catching up uh, in the future? We need to pray really hard. No, I'm definitely... <laughs> uh, um, thoughts and prayers won't solve this problem, just like they haven't solved the other problems, which politicians keep saying. You know, politicians like to say, after unfortunate circumstances, that thoughts and prayers are with people. But the reality is that just as thoughts and prayers don't solve gun shootings in America or other issues, thoughts and prayers are not going to solve this. We really need to change our attitude and our approach, uh, whether it be government starting to put in better regulations. And that's not more regulations, that's better regulations. Uh, in the United States, for example, you can import any device you want, electronic device from overseas, by buying it online, having it shipped in, and you can connect it to the internet. You can't buy any medicine you want from overseas, that's not legal. You, you can't buy any weapon you want from overseas, but you can import any technology device, essentially, that, you know, consumer technology device, and plug it into US networks. That means that if there's hardware problems in these devices, nobody's stopping you from connecting it to networks and propagating who knows what across those networks. Maybe that needs to change, right? If we have the government saying in the United States, for example, that hardware from certain Chinese vendors should not be allowed into government environments, you know, maybe we need to be enforcing that more than just within government environments. Maybe we need to have controls over what comes in, what's allowed to be plugged in where, etc., uh, so that's one area. But we do need better controls. We do need better regulations. Uh, and again, it's not about more regulations. It's about smarter regulations to ensure that we do not have vulnerabilities being introduced on a regular basis into our infrastructure, which is exactly what's happening today. So just uh, to follow up on that, when you say better regulations, I think we have a recent example with the executive order from President Biden, basically looking to improve the cybersecurity from the supply chain. And what we saw in the medical device industry is that basically that order is saying that suppliers have to come out with uh, SBOM, Software Bill of Materials, and they have to produce those SBOMs and they have to provide them to the person or the organization that's buying those medical devices. But it doesn't say what they have to do with those SBOMs. <laughs> so you have a situation where the, the manufacturer has to provide this bill of materials, but there is really no onus on anyone to actually check those bill of materials to make sure that it's vulnerability free. And I think it's a good example of what you're saying, which is not just to regulate, but to make sure that those regulations have, you know, have the capability to actually uh, help to improve the security. Right. I agree. One of the biggest problems when it comes to cybersecurity legislation and regulation is that in many cases, there's too much fluff and not much actual real effect. Pie in the sky kind of thoughts, nice ideas, generalizations. But when it comes to actual, you know, what we would call feet on the ground, actually doing something, there's really very little. And in many cases, it's because there's uh, situations, as you sort of uh, alluded to, where you have, you know, great rules. You have to have this, you have to have that, you have to disclose this, you have to do that. Okay. And then what happens once that is disclosed. What happens when the information is available? What do you have to do with it? What actions do you have to take? And in many cases, the answer is nothing, right? Uh, you know, you have to disclose there was a breach. You don't have to do anything about it. Uh, and again, maybe that's slightly exaggerated, but there's a lot of that concept going around. We need much more, you know, action focused 
regulation, much smarter regulation, not more regulation. Uh, and a lot of executive orders and things are so general and pie in the sky that they don't do anything. Uh, you know, we've even seen this with standards and with guidances from the government over a period of probably almost 20 years already, where they're so high level and with generalizations and concepts and they don't do anything. They, they don't actually tell you what you need to do. So they're subject to interpretation. Everyone just makes a checkbox and they don't actually address the real problems. In many cases, they're just repeating cliches, essentially, in various other words and don't really change anything on the ground. We know what we need to do on the ground, right? We know. We know where the problems are coming from, but we don't want to do it because mm -hmm. making actual rules that actually impact people can have negative political effects. And that's why, I, at least in my opinion, we're seeing a lot of the fluff. It sounds like we're doing stuff, but we're really not. So on another note, you're seeing cybersecurity from a lot of different perspectives, right? AI, you're an expert witness, you're dealing with privacy, even quantum computing, which I find fascinating being a, a physicist myself. So I'm curious, which cybersecurity area do you find most fascinating these days and why? AI is extremely fascinating because we're at the tip of the iceberg of it. And I believe that its impact on human society will be greater than that of the Industrial Revolution. Hmm. Not wow. overnight and not something that necessarily will be seen by everybody early on, but the long-term effects will be. And the reason that I say that is if you think about the Industrial Revolution, it replaced human muscle and animal muscle with machines. Machines are more reliable. They don't get sick. They don't get tired. They need repairs, but, you know, at a different level, they're much stronger. Steel and hydraulics or, you know, electrical uh, systems and injection of fuel into engines, combustion engines. These things are much stronger than anything that a human can do or that an animal can do. But when it comes to the forces of physics, these are nothing in the universe, right? These are still, think of a uh, nuclear reaction or uh, gravity or orbits and, you know, the forces that are out there, uh, matter-antimatter reactions. The machines that we have and the energy that they can harness up to do things is trivial compared to what exists in the universe. On the flip side, when we talk about AI, we're talking about replacing human intelligence, which is, as far as we know, the most intelligent thing anywhere near us in the universe with something orders of magnitude smarter. So it's not that we're replacing a, you know, a machine like a human or an animal with something stronger and more reliable, but it's still, you know, relatively weak. We're saying replace the smartest thing out there with something orders of magnitude smarter, which means we cannot even imagine what is possible with AI. You know, I consider there to be a point of no return which is when AIs become capable of producing AIs faster than humans can, right? Mm -hmm. And at that point, there is no point, there is no return, right? At that point, humans cannot compete with the AIs and whoever's got the best AI is going to potentially Take forever over. be ahead, right? right? We can't imagine what these things can think of. I mean, we don't like to think of ourselves this way, but the same way that an ant cannot comprehend calculus, it can't comprehend what calculus is, right? It can't comprehend what our mathematics are leading up to calculus. We cannot comprehend what AIs could potentially conceive of. We just can't. 
And that's, to me, the reason why I think there's so much uh, potential in terms of the impact on human society, because even in the in the Industrial Revolution, we know what is possible with machines, right? We can imagine it, whether it's in science fiction or what, what have you. I don't think we can imagine what AI can bring us. What we're seeing now is the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg. But what's beneath the surface, we can't fathom the concepts. Wow. Will there even wow. be uh, a place for human-led cybersecurity in, in an AI-driven world? Or will it just be, you know, a, one AI fighting with another AI and we'll just be sitting there, uh, you know, pushing pushing the AI buttons just to, to make them do their thing? Like, how, how do you see that? I mean, eventually, we won't even be pushing the AI buttons. I don't know what their engines will have. <laughs> but eventually, obviously, these things will be smart enough to... Do everything on their own. I'm also not convinced that there will be the kind of attacks that you have now in the future because a truly sophisticated AI may come up with other calculations. You know, in war games, the quote unquote AI at the beginning, you know, is playing global thermonuclear war and by the end realizes the only winning strategy is not to play. We, and that's a movie from 40 years ago. We don't know what these things will come up with. We just don't know whether, you know, AIs will capitulate because they realize they're going to lose, you know, and it's going to be a losing battle and they'll lose three years from now if they continue. Who knows? We cannot understand it or imagine it because it's way beyond our level of comprehension. And I think we're uncomfortable with that. And that's why we don't like to discuss it. The same reason why when it comes to AI, we, we so often talk about ethics and, you know, the politically correct conversations are always, is the AI discriminatory? Does it, you know, take into account every group? Is it biased based on who created it, et cetera? What we're not talking about is what happens when the AIs create themselves and they make decisions that turn out to be real and accurate, that if we discriminate against this kind of person, we'll produce better results. Because it's going to happen, right? There are certain people who may have a physical attribute that make them better for a certain job that we can't even identify because we don't understand it because we, it never dawned on us, right? What if it turns mm -hmm. out, for example, that for whatever reason, the genetic code that causes people to have blue eyes makes them better suited for a particular task than people who have green eyes, right? And we have no knowledge of this. But let's say AIs come up with this. Are we prepared to accept that? Okay. Are we prepared to accept decisions right. that AIs come up with that go against our moral, you know, compass, our moral values? If the AIs say, yeah, but this works, this is correct. And, and I don't think we're prepared for that. And I think that's one of the big ethical issues because we're not comfortable with the fact that AIs may be smarter than us and may come up with things that we don't like, but are actually accurate. And of course, I made up those examples. Because I have yeah. no idea what the AIs will come up with. We'd like to think that they won't come up with anything. So we ignore the fact that they might. And we just don't know. So I wonder uh, what the ACLU AI will say about that. But again, we don't know if they'll come up with these things. But we're right. not prepared for the situation yeah. where they do. Because we have come up with the belief that our knowledge and our understanding of the world and our values are the right ones. And I understand why we've come up with that. And we'd like it to be that way. But that doesn't mean that in the real world, if you're looking for optimal performance, that will always be the case. We just don't know. Uh, you know, look, look, to humans, it's quite clear that if you take on average people who are six foot five versus 
five foot five, you're going to have better centers for basketball, right? It's just reality. It doesn't matter what we want it to be. That's reality. You know, what happens if AIs come up with all sorts of other things that we would never have imagined, but based on reviewing every possible scenario, they come up with it. We have no preparation for this. And that is concerning. Right, right. This reminds me of the of the uh, chapter in, in the Hitchhiker, Hitchhiker Guide to the Galaxy, where they ask this supercomputer, you know, what's the meaning of life? And then it takes decades to answer. And after decades, uh, it just gives the answer of 42 or some arbitrary number. <laughs> and no one gets what, what it's talking about. Uh, so it's pretty much the same thing. If you can't comprehend it, you can't comprehend the answer sometimes. Uh, incredible. It's not that you can't comprehend the answers. You can't comprehend the concept that creates the answers. That's why right. I gave the example of the ant with calculus. It may be that we can't understand the framework for creating the answer. We can't understand the entire system of the equivalent of logic for creating the answer. So there's no way we can even evaluate the answer. And that is not something that intelligent life forms like humans like to understand. Uh, you know, it, it's actually quite simple to show this, right? We could do math on a six-dimensional figure. But if I ask you to draw a six-dimensional figure, it's kind of hard. Right. What if there's things like this that AIs come up with, you know, and we just can't picture it? Right. I don't know. Interesting. And I think there, there definitely is the potential for a very serious uh, advancement of humanity. And there's also the danger of uh, letting you know, it get out of control to the point where we don't understand why it's out of control because we don't understand what they're doing and that it makes sense logically. That's yeah. correct. So, you know, I was going to ask you about the uh, most amazing or unbelievable moment that you had in the cybersecurity world, but it really, really is interesting to me um, that you're an expert witness in the world of cybersecurity. I don't know if there's something that you've seen uh, as an expert witness, something that has come up, you know, that seemed unbelievable or, or was pretty amazing that it even reached the point where you needed to be an expert witness or, you know, that, that you found to be really incredible in, in that part of the work that you do. I think the most incredible aspect of cybersecurity, of information security, whether it's regard to expert witnessing or anything else, that to me no longer feels incredible, but Perhaps it would be great if it could, but the people outside the field probably would be, is how dumb human beings, <laughs> you and me, me included, how dumb we really are. Password we make one, the two, same three. mistakes <laughs> over and over and over again. And we just don't learn from our mistakes as a society. I mean, just think about phishing attacks. My God, these are going on for 20 years, the same concepts. And these are the same concepts that a thousand years ago were when, you know, a knight killed another knight and took his armor and put it on and said, I'm so-and-so. The same scams we keep falling for, the same mistakes, we just don't learn. Again, it's only incredible to those who haven't seen it. But when you're working in this field long enough, Nothing surprises you about human error. And you see how many businesses there are trying to prevent human error, and they still you know, can't stop it. That's probably the most shocking element to anyone who's outside the field. And by the way, including very smart people, the, the human error aspect of information security is not that you know, dumb people are making mistakes. It's that all people are making mistakes. It's really incredible how dumb some of the mistakes are in retrospect, 
but we keep making it. And part of the issue is that cybersecurity is different than every other area of knowledge, essentially, when you look at the human experience. Everybody listening to this podcast or watching it probably learned from somebody older than them when they were a child not to play with fire, not to run into the street without looking, not to stick your hand into the lion cage if you had that capability at the zoo. We learn different things from people who are older than us for most of human experience because they were dangers. We understood what the danger was, and each generation taught the next generation to avoid the danger. There are no adults alive today who learned everything that they need about cyber dangers from their parents. There are no children today who are learning about cyber dangers now in school who are going to have a complete understanding of everything that they need to stay cyber safe 20 years from now based on what they learn in school, because it keeps changing. So the model of learning how to stay safe is different than the model that humans have used for all of their existence for most dangers. And that creates a problem because people need to teach themselves about basic safety things, whereas in most areas, humans never needed to do that. Uh, you know, the book I wrote, Cybersecurity for Dummies, people say, oh, I'm not really a dummy. But I think when it comes to cyber, we all are dummies because none of us learn this as kids. And the ones who did learn it as kids learned different things as kids because the risks changed, right? 20 years ago, nobody was worried about that internet-connected camera. 20 years ago, they weren't worried about smartphone either, right? The iPhone didn't even exist. Android didn't even exist. I don't know what's going to exist in 10 and 20 years from now, but I'm sure there will be security risks that we don't know about today that exist then. And so these are things we have to keep learning. It's a constant learning process that has to be done as an adult. And that's different. And so because of that, you know, the reality is a large number of people don't stay up to date on these things. And therefore, we see human stupidity leading to sometimes incredible uh, mistakes and incredible uh, impacts. But they're really not incredible. They're just incredible to those who aren't familiar with the problem. So we um, recently did a survey of medical device manufacturers, uh, cybersecurity professionals, and you'd be amazed to find how many of them said that they are prepared for cyber attacks today. The, the number was like amazingly high, given that the, the medical device industry as a whole hasn't been connected only, you know, it only started a couple of years ago that these devices started to be connected the history that they have or the, the background that they have in cybersecurity is, I don't want to say minimal, but I'd say it might be lacking or they might not understand the extent to which they are open for attacks. And I think that uh, they don't realize how open they are for the potential of attacks. I'm a lot more scared when someone tells me that they're totally prepared for cyber attacks than when they say, I know I'm totally unprepared because in almost all cases, they're all unprepared or to some level unprepared, and the overconfidence is a major issue. Looking at human error, the number of parties that are confident that they are totally prepared and have no level of serious risk versus what actually happens, uh, it's not a pretty uh, picture. Let's put it that way. Well, as someone said, the only thing bigger than the universe is human stupidity. So uh, I sometimes wonder, like, you know, people say, well, is there other intelligent life out there in the universe? And, you know, I have responded to that question many times. They're saying, 
you know, why do you assume that if aliens saw us, they'd consider us intelligent? Right? <laughs> Again, what, what defines intelligent? We're defining intelligent as anything that's as intelligent as us, right? But, you know, if if you were talking about a far less intelligent species, you know, we wouldn't consider it intelligent, but maybe it considers itself intelligent. Who says aliens consider us intelligent? If you look at our accomplishments, they may be great, but, you know, it's not like we've gotten to other stars. It's not like we've extended human life to thousands of years. It's not like we've cured all diseases and all suffering. It, it's not like we've saved our planet from potential environmental changes. You know, we're really smart, but we're not necessarily as in control of our own destiny as we think. And, you know, when it comes to cyber, that's one of the weaker areas. We don't necessarily demonstrate our intelligence there. And, you know, if you're listening to this and your password to log into this was, uh, you know, password one, two, three, four, that that would be an example of the things that very, very many humans do, even though they know it's not intelligent. But we do it all the time. Humans will do stupid things even when they know it's stupid. Well, to take us back to Earth, literally, do you have, uh, Joseph, any practical tips for uh, product and device security teams for 2022? So I'll break my advice into two groups. Uh, when it comes to users, and remember, everybody is a user, even if they're working on a security team. Uh, I have a list of tips on my website that cost almost nothing to do, if not cost nothing. And they make things much better. There is no such thing as perfect security, but they'll dramatically improve your security posture if you're not doing them. All you need to do is go into a web browser and type uh, a short js.tc slash 13. So that's josephsteinberg.totallycandid slash 13. js.tc slash 13. You'll get the list of tips. And remember, even if you're working on a product, you're still an individual. So look at the tips from the, you know, the individual perspective. When it comes to the professionals that are building products, the bottom line is you got to have security in mind from day number one. Day number one means when you're thinking about the product, not when you're building it. It's too late. You start building the product and you haven't thought about security. You start retrofitting and that's where mistakes happen, right? It's very, very hard to take a product that's been built without proper security in mind and to truly secure it the way it should be. You start making sacrifices and trade-offs and things like that. Someone has a problem using a feature because of the new security add-on. You disable the security add-on or make a workaround. All these kind of things. We all know it's true, so don't do it. You got to have it in mind from day number one. The other aspect of that is that you cannot build workarounds around security. There'll be times where there's a very big temptation when creating a product to make things easier by avoiding a security feature or allowing people to turn them off. The problem is if you turn them off, or not you, you can tell people don't turn off the security feature because it'll make you vulnerable. Don't turn it off. I'm warning you, don't turn it off. But then when they turn it off and they get breached, you get blamed, right? They say, oh, this product was breached. So if you have a security feature that turning off you know, would make a risk, don't give users the ability to turn it off. Because in the end, a lot of them will, and then they'll blame you down the line for letting them turn it off. Uh, so that's the second thing to keep in mind. And then the third thing to keep in mind, I would say, is that just remember, you're, you're building a computer, right? You can call it a device. It's a computer. If it can communicate with the internet, if it can communicate with other parties, if it can receive signals and configuration 
uh, information and, you know, be changed and have its performance change based on somebody communicating with it. It's a computer. So don't think of it as a device with some, you know, features. Think of it as a computer that specializes in a particular medical function. And when you think of it that way, okay, computers are hackable. Computers are targets. You think of things differently than if you think of it as, you know, the next generation of device that was really solid state and couldn't be modified by uh, any outside party. So understand, you know, that vulnerability. And of course, for everybody, just keep in mind, you're a target, right? The reality is you may think you're making a medical device. What does it have to do with hackers? I guarantee you there are hackers who want to get into every possible medical device, whether it's to create the ultimate ransomware, right? Pay us a ransom or we, you know, screw around with the configurations and kill your patients, which is obviously a very serious threat. Or for targeted things, you know, a particular world leader goes in, gets a particular uh, medical device implanted or used with them, and someone has a way of hacking it. You know, who knows what could happen from intelligence units or rogue states, terrorist groups, etc. So you are a target. Keep security in mind from the beginning. Don't let people turn off the security features and play it safe. You're using a computer, not a you know, not a switch. Brilliant. So uh, Joseph, thanks. So much for for the insights, both uh, the philosophical ones and the, and the practical ones. Uh, this has been a lot of fun to to witness the expert witness uh, firsthand. See what I did there. All the best, all the best to you, and and thanks for the time. Thank you. I want to add one thing. The philosophical stuff is actually a lot more critical than people realize, <clears throat> because a lot of security is really based on attitude. Human beings who believe that hackers are going to target them, that they really are targets, behave differently in all sorts of situations than people who think, I'm not really a target. I have nothing to, you know, to keep safe. Nobody cares about me. You know, this is just uh, paranoid security people talking or what have you. And it's that subconscious difference that sometimes makes a world of difference, right? A suspicious email comes in. Or an email, you know, saying, uh, you know, uh, issue a wire to so-and-so or, uh, you know, click this link for whatever. The person who has that deep down inherent subconscious suspicion is far more likely not to do something dumb than the person who thinks, hey, I'm not a target anyway. You know, and I just click it, whatever. And, and it's that healthy skepticism subconsciously that sometimes saves people and organizations a lot of from a lot of pain. Let's put it that way. Uh, so it's attitude is extremely important. In fact, on my tips, the first tip is make sure people, under, you know, have the attitude that they are really targets, not intellectually, but internalize that really believe that you are a target and you'll behave differently subconsciously. And you may not even know when it happens and you may keep yourself safe from all sorts of problems. Great. That's I think that's the best advice you've given today. Thank you very much for being with us today. It's been great. Sure, thank you very much. And regards from New York. Left to Our Own Devices is brought to you by Cybellum. To learn more, visit cybellum.com. <laughs>